And will you join us in prayer? Father God, we come before you on this Good Friday, on this solemn day. That is good in its severity. That is good, and we remember not what you had to endure, but what we have benefited because of it. It is good because you've given so freely of yourself. And invited us into life with you. Father, in our own way, in the midst of the busyness of this day, in our classes, in our schedule, God, we ask that you would minister to us. You would remind us that it's for all of these things, for every part of who we are, that this sacrifice and that this gift was given. As we still our hearts and hear your word, Father, will you speak again? Keep making us new. Keep taking us deeper as you move deeper in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I went to a visitation of a friend who had just lost her father well before his time. She said it was so hard and so awkward when we walked through this cultural practice of visitation because people come one after the other and they shake your hand and they say strange things and they move on and they leave. Maybe they get a ham bun on their way out. She said what was so interesting is all the different things that people say in these moments. Hallmark lines, overly simplistic Christian platitudes, A word of comfort, a strange notion of a fatalism, a random Bible verse, something really cliche. And I asked her in the middle of this when it was all done and everybody had all gone, I said, what was was the most meaningful thing anybody actually ever said to you? Like, does this have a purpose? Is there a reason why we do this that brings us hope? And she said, the best thing anybody said to me all night long It was my best friend who knew me best. She held me close. Her face touched mine, and my tears intermingled with hers. And she whispered in my ear, this effing sucks. In all of that brokenness, one person named the most honest thought that they actually had. It's strange how we clean and we sanitize stuff up and then we feel like that's what we got to bring before God. But what I love about Good Friday of all times is we are forced to come to terms not only with our own mortality but the fact of, that God gave himself up for this. That God himself said, this sucks and I'm coming to make it right. God came incarnationally and visited with us and then in the most amazing act of solidarity, not with the best of who we are, but with the worst of who we are, found solidarity there and said, take it all, I will take it all on me 
And the cross became this thing of the most amazing gravitational pull that absorbed and took within it everything that is dark and full of sin and death on him. We live in a death-denying culture, and I don't know if we do Good Friday well. We in the Western world probably live more in a death-denying culture than any other people on this planet. I remember learning how to do pastoral care in West Africa with a pastor who took us to a family that had just recently lost a loved one. A A circle of chairs was all outside their house. And we sat together, and after three hours I asked him, what are we doing? He said, we just sit in their grief. That's what we do. We sat in their grief. That's how he ministered to them. The way God ministered to us to to come and sit in our grief. To take enough of it into himself that he could then take it away from us. But there's a certain level of acknowledgement that we have to have of death, of of suffering, of, of pain in order to understand what it is that's actually been accomplished on this day. Psychologist Rod Wilson says that North American evangelical Christianity addresses lament like it's a, a lack of spirituality. Lament is this genre in Scripture that's been given to us when when there is a day that is just simply full of sadness. To acknowledge loss. To allow for anger. To let us be broken in the moment. To remind us what it is that God really came for. And no doubt you've experienced moments in your own life where it felt like God was so far away. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That's what Jesus said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who had known and experienced perfect love, been part of the perfect community of triune love. Now for our sakes abandoned by all of it. We've been walking this semester through the Psalms. I want to read a strange one for you this morning. This is Psalm 88, a passage I would regard as the darkest prayer in Scripture. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit. In the darkest depths, your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? 
Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You've taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. This psalm is so unique in its lack of redemptive finish. The psalms, as we've been talking about, give, give voice to all the things that we experience, all of our frustrations and our joys, the ways that we experience the world, the way we experience the inner life, and the way we interact with God. It gives us a voice to speak to Him in any and every situation. Part of me is surprised that somebody didn't actually take this psalm out. When the Psalter was compiled and then the canon of Scripture They didn't whitewash this one. Because there simply are times and there are days and there are seasons of life and there are situations that we are in where it feels like this is the expression of our heart. It's left in the Bible. I remember talking about this passage one day with a woman who became a close friend and even a teacher. She suffered from bipolar disorder. Years and years, suffering, struggle, inability to control her own emotions, her own thoughts, learning to distrust her own mind. She said she loved this psalm. It gave her permission. It gave an integrity to her prayers because it was what she really felt. And as I listened to her speak, I realized that in lament, there's almost the deepest form of reverence possible. For if you trust in the strength of a God so much that you're willing to yell at Him, if you believe that His existence is still there and so He is worthy of communication, if you acknowledge, even in anger, that the only one capable of healing this situation and removing this darkness is the one you speak to and cry out to, then even anger at God is its own form of reverence. There's a certain form of respect. If we didn't believe that he could heal the situation and remove it, then we wouldn't say it. There's a certain hope, actually, in anger, isn't there? Anger says, this isn't right. And the cross echoes back, you are right, it's not right. And so I will make it right. And all of our anger gets swept up in all of God's wrath and anger at sin. And every time, every Christian, everybody who's ever acknowledged the existence of God has been angry at him and said, where are you in this moment? Where are you when that bomb went off? When that war was fought? When that murder happened? When that person suffered? When she cried? When he was hit? Where were you? Lament is God's affirmation. I was on the cross. That's where I went in all of this. And I came to meet you there. 
And I found solidarity with you, not in your cleaned up Sunday self. I found solidarity with the worst of who you are. And then I took it on me. Our anger at sin and the pain we feel was shared by our God. And so strangely enough, anger is its own form of hope. And maybe yelling at God is the deepest form of reverence even possible. Because seasons don't always have happy endings. Not every relationship in life gets restored this side of glory. And so God's people lament. We lament for the pains of this world. A woman wrote a letter who suffered from bipolar. I've kept it all these years. This is what she says in reflection of her experience of God in the darkest of times and its relationship to Psalm 88. I read a lot of biblical commentaries on this passage by a lot of scholars, but this is the best one. If there's one thing I am good at, It's being angry with God, at and toward God. I have no choice. I have a mental disease that the predominant feeling, especially in the beginning, is anger. And because of my faith and dependency on God, it is very natural for me to go to Him with all the anger. I cannot generate positive thoughts or feelings. God becomes distant or completely absent. Therefore, I have no problem chewing Him out. For allowing me, or in the negative, putting me in the pit again. I wouldn't be able to go to him at all during this time, and I can't imagine he would want that either. Everyone gets angry, and God always knows our hearts. So if we go to him in denial of any emotion, it would be a false encounter, and he wouldn't be able to help us because he only deals in truths. And besides that, I wouldn't make it without him, without community with him. I wouldn't make it in community with him. Whether it be yelling, blaming, or weeping, because there's no one else that could handle it. Nor should they have to. As long as I cry out to him, I am acknowledging the fact that he is still the one I believe in and have hope in, or I wouldn't even be able to acknowledge him at all, even in my anger. Lord, Lord, where are you? Are you even there? Can you hear me? Have you turned your face from me and left me in this God-forsaken sick mind alone? I cannot do this again. Where I cry out and search and search and cannot find you, for your light has gone out. Only darkness surrounds me, and I stand alone. The sun is shining and the breeze warm, yet my world is so cold and so dark because you are not there. All alone, Lord, so all alone. Have you blinded the eyes of the church that they cannot see me, that I'm not even there? Or have you hardened their hearts toward me that they no longer care? God, I am so angry. What good is this pit you have left me in? I cannot praise you. I cannot worship you. And I tire so from seeking you. Seeking you to reach down and wrap me up in your arms and comfort me, but you're not there. Seeking you to wipe away my tears and restore my joy. Joy? Joy? 
My mind is too depraved to even allow my heart to remember such a thing as joy. I feel an evil one will again gain access to my heart too, Lord. And then would I even be able to seek you anymore? Might I even be unable to, to speak your name? Please, God, please, have I not done everything I could to get well? Years and years and years of doctors and medicine and therapies I cannot even speak of. Cursing the evil one, sharing you with others to generate some hope in all of us, yet you still turn your face away from me in these times. So I cannot be cast down into this God-forsaken pit again. Why, Lord? Why? I hate it. It is so cold. It is so dark. It is so empty. Surely the death and grave cannot be any worse than this. Then, Lord, then would you come and lift me up? Then would you once again claim me as your own? Or will I be doomed forever in this darkness, separated from you? For you and you alone can spare me the depths of hell for another day in this madness or for eternity, for I am yours. Come, Lord, come now. Please shine your face on me once more, lest the grave consume me. Is it right to be angry at God? If not, I wouldn't be here. One of the other great struggles I had in this psalm and thinking about this message is I remember being taught very clearly in seminary and preaching class that every passage in every sermon has to be Christocentric. It has to focus on the person of Christ. Where is Jesus in Psalm 88? I pondered that question a lot the last few days. Where is Jesus in Psalm 88? How do you make a Christocentric message out of that psalm and those reflections? I think it is only in the honesty of Good Friday where this is allowed. Because you can't take out of the grave on Sunday which you didn't put on a cross on Friday. You can't withdraw on Sunday what was not deposited on Friday. God with open arms on the cross says, all of that, all of that, bring it to me. Come put it and pin it all on me. All those, the, 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 the places that nobody else knows of, the worst hurts you've ever had, all of that, come and bring it to me. Because that's what this is for. Give me anything less on Good Friday. And our houses and our places of spiritual formation have instead become factories of hypocrisy for we will put on masks and pretend we are more pious and better than we are. We will, we will fail to acknowledge and honor the work of the cross and the suffering of God if we don't take the worst and the darkest of all the things in the world and leave it on the cross. And I think that's the personal invitation for each one of us in all of this. What is it that still has to go on the cross so it can come out the other side in the resurrection? We want to live our lives as if there's nothing left to do that. But the gift and the life of sanctification, the resurrection and new life that we find in Christ must be repeated again and again. And a glorious hallelujah doesn't come before a broken hallelujah. And it's our confession and coming to terms with who we are. This allows us to experience first our total depravity so we can then experience the total victory and recreation that we have in Christ. And our soul needs to learn how to sing lament, to acknowledge our pain 
so we can allow it too to come through the three-day cycle and come out the other side renewed and whole again.